Hello and welcome to another edition of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we're coming to you from the studio of Our Daily Bread, a ministry that helps millions of people connect with God each day. For 75 years, our purpose has remained the same, to reach people with a life-changing wisdom of the Bible. Chad, we have just finished the Amway Riverbank run on the banks of the Grand River here in Grand Rapids. Did you run in that 25K? (laughs) You know as well as anybody, I didn't. But thanks for asking anyways. I know sometimes I get confused as a runner. People think I look like a runner for whatever reason. I I think I take that as a compliment. But I have never run this event. But this this is the open national championship at the 25K level right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Every year in, in, uh, uh, in, the, in the spring, we get really excited about this event. It is well attended. It is often bad weather. Always. Always, it seems like. And yet there are a lot of runners here. Um, you know, this is a really cool event that sort of um, uh, speaks to um, community. It speaks to endurance, discipline, character. You know, in order to be a long-distance runner, you've got to have a lot of all those things, don't you? Well, maybe or maybe not, Chad, but you already admitted you're not a runner, and how would you know? I feel like we ought to ask somebody who knows, Uh, and it turns out that we have someone here with us today. Ryan Hall is with us. Uh, Ryan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on, guys. So we've got Ryan Hall recording with us. Ryan is a two-time Olympic marathoner. He's the American record holder in the half marathon he has the fastest ever recorded marathon time for an American. That's at Boston 2011. And maybe most importantly right now, he's the author of a new book, Run the Mile You're In, Finding God in Every Step. Ryan, as we introduce you, I'm wondering, does it ever get old to be described as an Olympian? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It was definitely, you know, that was when I got into the sport, what I was going after. So, um, you know, I remember the moment when it actually happened and funny, I'm here in uh, New York, my wife's racing on a, a 10 K on Friday, but looking back all these memories from making my first Olympic team in 2007, I was Olympic trials for the 2008 Olympics. And, you know, I remember running that last like three miles and having this thought of like, Whoa, like this is actually happening. You know, it's like a childhood dream you thought of for years and years and years. And as it's becoming reality and becoming cemented into place, it's kind of a surreal moment, you know. Um, and then it, you enjoy it, but you, you continue to just like look back and reflect on that all the time and be like, man, I'm so grateful for what God did and uh, for getting to have that experience and getting to live a, a childhood dream. And Right. It was an experience that wasn't a surprise to you, as you mentioned in your book. You say that as a 13-year-old, you felt that God was pushing you in this direction, that you'd one day run with the best runners in the world. Can you talk us through that moment when you were a 13-year-old? Yeah. Oh, man, that was a, a huge moment for me on a lot of different levels, actually, like spiritually, that's where things really took off for me. Because what happened is, yeah, I was going down to a basketball game as an eighth grade, five foot tall, 100 pounds. Um, so as you can imagine, with that kind of frame, I wasn't seeing a lot of playing time on the basketball court. It's pretty embarrassing, actually. I remember I'd be like getting getting swatted all the time when I was shooting or shooting off the side of the, the backboard. And uh, anyways, I was going down to this basketball game. I remember looking out over the lake in Big Bear, uh, where I was living at the time and where I grew up in Southern California, and just feeling like God just kind of planted this like seed of a desire to try and run around that lake. 
and uh, it's 15 miles around the lake. So it's a pretty big run for, you know, a 13 year old kid who doesn't like to run. And, uh, and so I, I went home, I told my dad what I wanted to do. And I remember I was kind of shocked that he didn't just gun down my idea. Cause it was one of those ideas where you're like, I know this is a bad idea, but I'm just gonna <laughs> kind of roll with it anyways and see what, see what my dad says here. And, uh, you know, he, he's just like, all right, that's what you feel like God's telling me to do. Like, let's, let's lace up our shoes on Saturday and go out and tackle this thing together. So that's what we did. We uh, we went out on a very slow, very long, painful run. And previous to this, I hated to run, by the way. Like, I was around the sports. My dad was a runner and triathlete, but um, had zero desire to run. I enjoyed running the base, bases in baseball, enjoyed running in basketball, but I didn't enjoy just running around in circles for no apparent reason. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, thank you for saying that, because we don't either. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, people can relate to that. It's funny because, you know, now 20 years later and after everything's been said and done, like, I still love the sport of running. I'm still, like, in the sport. I coach my wife. I coach a couple other pros. I coach other people online. I love being involved in other people's running, but I don't personally enjoy running anymore. Which is, Isn't that amazing? It's kind of funny. I, I kind of went full circle. So I can relate to everyone. You know, I, I realize not, running is not for everyone. You know, it's a, it's a really fun sport. Um but it, it is not for everyone. So anyway, going back to that story, you know, finishing that run, collapsing on the couch. And again, this was probably, you know, the first time I felt like God was speaking to me in my entire life was that moment when I was looking out over the lake. And then I'd say the second moment when I felt like God was really communicating with me was when I crashed on the couch. And I would tell people, like, if you want to hear God speak, like, make yourself as physically exhausted as humanly possible. <laughs> and uh, that, those were always, like, easy moments. It's like all the distractions, all everything that's going on in my monkey brain is, like, quieted down so I can actually hear God, you know? And, uh, and I, that was the moment where I felt like he was telling me, like, I've given you a gift to run with the best guys in the world, and I gave you that gift so that you can help other people. And I'm so glad that I had that moment of, like, I talk about it in my book as, like, a vision moment because I had to fall back on that over and over and over again when I'd go through hard times. I dropped out of Stanford for a quarter. Uh, there was a lot more bad races throughout my career than good races. So I had to constantly be like, well, have I done what I felt like God told me I, I was going to be doing when I was 13? If I had not accomplished that, then i got to keep moving forward. i got to pick myself back up. So, yeah, that was a, and also, too, um, something that's huge about that moment is I realized, like, I started to believe that about myself from that very moment. Like, I believed one day I'd run with the best guys in the world. And so I started to act that way. I started to train that way. My nutrition changed. My sleep habits changed. My friends changed. Like, my entire lifestyle completely changed. And it was all based on this, like, belief that one day, I'd be running with the best guys in the world. And the reason why I like to talk about that is because I think we need to just do a really good job of cultivating the beliefs we want to have about ourselves, you know? And I don't think it necessarily needs to come from, like, a mythical moment. I think beliefs can be, like, daily choices. But it's something that is very much, or at least from my experience, has been very much daily. Because even though I got, like, that one initial word and in, in belief about myself, I had to choose to uh, agree with that belief on a daily basis. And I didn't always say, you know, like I remember a lot of bad races and afterwards being like, I'm done 
Like, I'm never going to run fast. I'm never going to run fast. Like, I had a lot of moments like that. So, like, give yourself grace if you're going through those moments and you're like, well, I just, like, threw in the towel. I've been there. Like, I threw in the towel, too. But I always kind of came back to, like, this core belief that I was trying to cultivate about myself. So beliefs are, are very much like a, a cultivation process, not not so much like a one-time revelation, although it can be in some ways, you know. Well, that's a fascinating process, and thanks for kind of opening up um, a little bit about your, you know, just the process that you went through psychologically, emotionally, spiritually as you uh, walk through this. And it has this real hint of authenticity because there was a lot of pain. There were a lot of moments in there that you said, maybe this isn't for me or maybe I misinterpreted. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of when you peel back some of that, um, some of that message that you got uh how did you keep coming back to this idea that this is right for me yeah that's that's a great question um because there's yeah there's certainly a lot of moments i remember this one moment i ran this 800 meters in la i forget exactly in la where it was i finished last place in that race and i was wearing this shirt that my buddy had given me and it says i can do all things on the front and then through christ he strengthens me on the back and i just remember wearing pretty standard shirt, yeah down after this can you guys see me okay yeah yeah um so i, I remember wearing this shirt and being like embarrassed i was even wearing this shirt of like an embarrassment to like jesus and to this like <laughs> this bible verse that i'm wearing on my shirt right now but again like it's just one of those moments where it's like well, maybe my definition of victory is different than God's definition of victory. And that's something that I had to work on a lot throughout my career, because I think uh, our definition of success, no matter what we're doing, is is uh, being fed best for our culture. Usually it has everything to do with we perform. But God's definition of success is to spend time with Him and really try to drive people just for myself to help me work through all these moments where I was failing over and over again. As I went, God me with that performance. And I'm so grateful for that, you know? And so like, as I was able to see how he sees me and he doesn't define my worth based on how fast I'm running or what place I was or going to the Olympics, like all that stuff is just, it, like he's celebrating that stuff with me, but it has nothing to do with how important he sees me or how much he loves me. And so as I, how he sees me then changes how I see myself and then I'm I'm just going through the process and still to this day going through the process of trying to um, cultivate how he sees me and see myself in that same kind of light. Hey Ryan just as a quick aside that last answer got cut out a little bit we're going to keep going on but I don't know if there's a different spot where you that you had walked to or not but that one cut out a little bit so um, we're going to keep okay. the recording going here without any problem, but uh, we'll we'll step into sort of a, a related question here, okay? All right. So uh, I'm intrigued by your definition or redefinition of success. Early in your running career, you and your dad wrote your running goals for each year on a drying slab of cement, times, splits, and such. But your definition of success and your mental focus seemed to change dramatically over your career. You talk about heart goals versus performance goals. So what's the legacy of those early cement slabs as we think about young athletes pushing to be the best they can? What's the significance of that, knowing that your definition of success changed throughout your career? Uh, oh, man. 
I I definitely went 180 on on my goal setting process. Um, you know, submitting our goals in the in the cement in the backyard was a really powerful thing for me to do as a kid um, because it was more like the commitment to going after this goal with everything inside you. And it's my dad and I making this commitment together that was super powerful, you know, and it's like we're going on this journey together. We're holding each other accountable for, like, we're going to really go after this thing, you know. But what I kind of realized later on is that I was writing goals in the cement that I couldn't necessarily control, like, yes, I was going after them with everything inside me, but even sometimes what I learned is, you know, like, oftentimes in school we're told, like, if you believe, if you work hard, like, you can achieve anything, you know? But I, I kind of learned, like, well, that's not necessarily true, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I love I love the, the storyline, and yes, I totally, 100% believe in hard work and believing in yourself. All these are ways to, like, maximize our potential. But there's certain goals you can have that you, it's just not possible for everyone to experience those at the same time. For example, winning the Olympic gold medal in the marathon. Like, there's one guy who gets to experience every four years, and everyone else, if their goal is to win the Olympic gold medal, they're, everyone else is disappointed. You know, think about the millions of people who are training to accomplish that goal, and one guy gets it, everyone else is bummed out. And I hated that about sport. Um, so I had to learn like, well, what can I actually control? What goals can I choose that, you know, even I, I know I can accomplish it. I can stay on the starting line and be like, I can do this a hundred percent. It doesn't matter how I perform. And, and God started to speak to me about like, well, what's going on in your heart? Like, like out of the heart flows everything. You know, you look at Jesus and he's passionate about doing and he's passionate about going after our hearts you know and living out of our hearts and so i kind of realized i have to do the same thing so i started um having goals of the heart i called them and so it'd just be like simple things i was going to go after in each race you know and i'd choose a different one for each race be you know thankfulness might be one that I'd go after um uh joy you know just having fun out there my dad used to always tell me that um happy feet make light feet and i've certainly experienced that so i just choose something where like i know i can accomplish this because it doesn't have anything to do with my performance because running is uh in in all sports you know like there's there's a certain element we can control but then there's a certain element which makes it really fun to compete by the way it's like you you kind of don't know what you're going to get like you have an idea but then once you're out there it's like amazing things can happen uh, not so amazing things can happen like everything on the spectrum is possible so it it was just kind of like a way for me also too to maximize my potential because when I was focused on heart goals I was always running better and I was less concerned with performance I was more had a more of an open mind when I was out there competing because I wasn't so fixated on the result I was, I was fixated on how I wanted to be doing what I was doing and Ryan the the Really interesting part of your perspective now is that it's so mature from a sport perspective, right? And it, you've had 20 years to kind of reflect on it and live into it and think about it and pray through it and reevaluate. And now your, your goals, like you said, are more heart goals or what might, some might call more process goals as opposed to product goals. And I, I kind of think that a lot of people go through that process and maybe at around your age and our ages, we, we arrive at that place. But how would you sort of talk to yourself back then? 
How would you describe this? Would that have been helpful or would that have just been distracting? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, that was a big reason why I wrote the book is because, yeah, I've learned a lot of these things, but I didn't necessarily, I wasn't really exposed to them until like I was forced to like wrestle with these issues myself, you know? Um, so that was, yeah, a big reason why I wrote the book is I was thinking about my 13 year old self and the things that I kind of wish I would have known getting into it. Um, things like, like if you're going to be a big dreamer, you better be equally resilient, you know, have a, a, Mm. a quality of being visionary and dreamer. Like you better have, develop an equally big quality of like, how am I going to get back up from disappointments? Because when you have high expectations, you have high visions, like there's going to be a lot of those expectations not being met. And how are you going to handle those moments? How are you going to see those moments? How are you going to frame those moments in your mind? So things like that, that like, I'm like, man, it would have been really good to know that when I was getting into this sport. And so that's, you know, when I was writing the book, I'd often go back to thinking about my third self and thinking about what do I wish someone what what do I wish I would have known then that that you know I know now and so that was my whole goal in writing the book is like how to is to communicate to people like how to become the best version of themselves no matter what they're doing um and things that that have worked for me that um I've learned along my journey over the last 20 years one of the other really cool things that you've articulated and maybe a bit of a twist is the idea of borrowing confidence from others as you as you reflect on that in the book looking back at how you maybe did this well as a youngster as a younger runner borrowing confidence from others seems like a a a difficult and and counterintuitive idea that when when another person has confidence it leads to their success and we therefore oftentimes resort to jealousy or envy or whatever else but instead you say no i need to borrow confidence from that person that person's confident that's a goal for me where I can step in and be and be confident like them and I can rejoice in their successes. That's also a very mature idea. How did you how did you come to understanding that as a runner? Yeah, uh, I love talking about this. So uh, when I was at Stanford, uh, I really struggled to train with the guys on my team because I saw them as like competitors, you know, guys I wanted to try and beat. So when I'm doing my workouts, I was just trying to beat these guys, you know, improve myself to them, prove myself to myself. And uh, it just didn't work very well. Like my first two years at Stanford was nothing but struggle for me athletically. Um, and it just was not clicking. But there became a point where, like, I felt like God was speaking to me about how to, like, work together with my teammates. And so this is just, like, the power of community, being able to borrow confidence from people. So I never even qualified for the NCAA championship in track and field during my four years at Stanford. Um, well, in my first three years. And then in my fourth year, I learned to work together with one of my uh, teammates, Ian Dobson. And, uh, and I stopped trying to like beat him in training. I stopped trying to drop him. And I was just like, I'm just going to work with him in these workouts. And he'd been running phenomenally well, had won NCAA titles, has been running really well for a long time. And so I remember early on being in some of these 5Ks and, uh, and just staring at his back. I would just race and I would just stand right behind him just in the same way that I train with him in practice every single day. And I remember like mentally, like, feeling not confident at all because I was running way faster than I had ever raced before and, um, and hadn't been running well for a long time at Stanford. 
but I remember just having this, just bringing myself back to this thought of like, if I can train with Ian, then I can race with Ian, like just tuck right in, just like practice, like just, just sit right behind Ian, you know? And so that I was literally like borrowing, cause he was running with a ton of confidence. He was super, like I said, successful and doing well and on a roll and, so I would just tuck in behind him, and I started to finish close to him in races. And then we started to trade off. Where sometimes I would win, sometimes he would win. And then you know, fast forward to the NCAA championships, we end up going one two at NCs, and then a week later, we both qualified for the world championships, um, which were both you know, like I said, races I'd never even been to before. So I had no business you know qualifying for the world champs or winning NCAA's, having never been there before. But because I was training with Ian and he was on a roll, I was just like riding his coattails basically. And it was a way for me to to develop my own confidence, you know? And I think that's just the power of community. Like when you're in community with people who are better than you, it it should draw out the best in you. And it should give you a level of confidence. And like, look how they're living, look how they're operating. Like I can operate the same way and expect to have similar breakthroughs that they've experienced. So, Ryan, we're recording here from Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is the home of Dathan Ritzenheim, the home of Greg Meyer, the home of the annual 25K Open Championship for the United States. There's a running community here, much like you experienced in many different ways. I want to ask you about a a decision you made in the midst of your career regarding community, and that's when you decided in the fall of 2010 to change coaches from your previous coach to faith-based coaching in which you describe God as your coach. You're, in the, you're coming into the prime of your career. You've run really well. You, you decide to change coaches to, I'm using air quotes here, hire God as your coach. You have some great performances. And yet then at that point in time, then some injuries start coming on. And I, I wonder if you can share a little bit about that decision to have God as your coach. Yeah, oh man, this was such a, a powerful um, part of my story. Um, so it, it was a very, like, I would have loved to have made the decision in a bubble that was, you know, not, I wasn't going to be under the public eye, but being the fastest American marathoner at the time, like, is a very, you know, became a very public issue. And um, it, the reason why I decided is because I was. I was kind of sick of hearing stories about like people and not, I mean, let me fully explain this before you judge what I'm about to say, but no, that's um, good. (laughs) This is getting interesting. All right. You hear all these stories about like people in Africa and experiencing these amazing miracles and like how desperate, how hungry these people are for God, you know, which is like tremendously inspiring, you know, but I was like, I want that same thing for me. And I felt like at the time, like my life is just good, like all the time. And there's nothing that I'm really desperate for God about, you know? And so I was like, I need to create um, something in my life that I'm desperate to hear God's voice. I'm desperate to see him show up in my life. um, Because I knew it would just cause a tremendous amount of, of growth in my faith. And so I chose to, yeah, go out on my own and, and as my coach. And um, also, too, like, I just really believe in the Bible, and I really believe in the teachings of Jesus, and I believe that they are relevant not just to my faith, 
um, but also to what I do and to my sport. And I really believe that, like, applying things from the Bible was going to physically work. And uh, and I certainly experienced that to be true. Um, one of the first things God started speaking to me about was uh, rest. And that was not what I wanted to hear because I'm a workhorse. I love going hard. I hate off days. Like I just, I just love training, you know. And uh, and so you know, hearing that I need to take one day off a week, you know, I was reading through the Old Testament, talking about the Sabbath, and you know, I'd known about the Sabbath for a long time, but it kind of became real to me that God was being like, you need to operate from a place of rest. Start taking one day off a week, which doesn't sound like a lot, probably to to most listeners, but to us as professional athletes, like that is reducing your overall volume of the week by one seventh, which is a really big chunk, you know? So it felt like a huge stretch for me to do that. Um, but there was just thing after thing like that, that I was pulling from the Bible that I was bringing into my running. And, uh, and it led me to my biggest breakthrough of my career in running 204 at Boston. Um, but really when I look back at it now, I just see how it, it helped me navigate um, a really hard and tricky season, uh, the hardest season of my running career. And that was, you know, from the London Olympics, having to drop out of my first race in my entire life um, with a hamstring injury in that, in that Olympics. And then having to navigate injury after injury after injury. And then this like extreme fatigue thing that came on and, there's a four-year process of basically watching my body just completely fall apart on me. And the, the hardest thing about that was there was no huge red flag, like nothing to really explain why this was going on. It was just like my body was telling me, like, there's nothing left. Like, we've given you everything we can give you. Like, it's time to give back to us or to me. And it's kind of weird to talk to myself in the third person and whatnot. But, um yeah, it was a really hard season, and I was always really nervous about the day I was going to hang up my shoes because this had been my craft. It had been my passion for 20 years where I was going after this thing, and I was thinking, like, what is it going to be like when I wake up in the morning? I'm not going after this anymore. Like, this is kind of all I know is going after this this craft. And, uh, and God helped me kind of navigate that in such a way that when I retired, like, I remember feeling a sense of, like, release um you know i could kind of stop striving and i could just look back and be thankful and appreciate and um not be trying to you know i i think of it as like i was like banging my head against the wall trying to get myself back in shape so it was nice it was actually like a, a sense of letting go and release and uh and just yeah it was it was not at all did not at all go how i expected it to go i thought i'd get really down, depressed, and, you know, you hear some kind of horror stories about professional athletes and when they leave their sport and uh, that how hard of an experience that can be for them. So I felt like God just, like, really gave me the grace and showed me a lot of it comes down to, you know, what I was talking about previously, like how do you see yourself and learning to adopt how God sees us. And as, as that was a continual growing process and especially you know when he was my coach um that that just kind of freed me up you know and uh allowed me to enter into this next season of life um with just a lot of grace and and realize that the things i'd learned in the previous season of being a professional athlete were meant to be taken into this new season of life which is about encouraging other people helping them on their journey um cheering cheering all my wife cheering all my kids 
and uh, and I'm just loving it. I'm loving life as much now as I was when I was running professionally, if not more. Well, Ryan, you touch on some really uh, intriguing theological points in there where you sort of walk through this, uh, I, I think, fairly aggressive moment where you say, I am, I am actually going to create a vacuum. I'm going to create a space for, for God to fill. Uh, and you, you remove kind of the, the coaching voices around you. And as you pour yourself into Scripture, you're willing then to uh, experience words that don't that seem sort of counterintuitive, right? This idea of rhythm of life and rest, and that whole idea of Sabbath being one of trust, uh, one that um, it's difficult for all of us to let go because we're all such self-control people. We're all sort of destined uh, to sort of take control of things that are around us. Uh, and you kind of navigated the, what I thought were kind of some really difficult waters in sport, which is. Um, we think if we somehow devote ourselves to God that he's going to repay us back in sort of this prosperity doctrine sort of way in the way that, that we want to be paid, right? And um, what we learn is that, that God has what's best for us, but it may not be the way that we think it ought to be. It may not be described that way. And so to trust with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding is a profound thing, but it's a lifetime process. And you talked a lot about that that new identity, that moving identity that you've sort of worked through. And you started to touch on kind of where you're going. Can you give us just a little sense of you've, you've devoted your life to this now and uh, in many ways. And and now you're you're on sort of the back end of this, uh, but you're a young man. Right. So what what does sport and running? What uh, are you going to kind of leave it behind or do you see yourself? continuing on sort of being a, an advocate in some way to uh, this particular sport or, or even for uh, athletes who might be confused? Yeah, um, I'm definitely continuing on the journey. And um, I think the book was the first step for me, you know, to, to get out all these lessons I've learned. And then I'm kind of continuing that journey with doing uh, some personal online coaching and actually about to launch a, a training business. Uh, it's going to be called Run Free. Because what I've learned is that um, my biggest struggles will become my greatest ministry to other people, you know. And I, I write a lot about that in the book of things. These are things I've had to struggle through and struggle with, and as a result, have learned how to get through them, you know. And so that's the whole deal with Run Free. It's like we all have things that are holding us back, things that, you know, we, we want to remove from our life that will free us up to enter into the quote-unquote promised land, you know, and so, like, let's go on this journey together of doing that. So, it's, it's you know, it's nuts and bolts training as part of the program, but it's little five fingers. It's going to be a holistic approach um, to training, and, um, and my goal is just to guide people on their own personal journey of not necessarily even to guide, but just to go with them on their own journey of breakthrough and have them experience breakthrough um, in their heart more than more more so than even physically is what I'm most excited about doing with Run Free. So yeah, I have that going, and then my wife and I we we have a big heart for uh, Ethiopia. You know, adopting our four uh, daughters from Ethiopia three and a half years ago just have a, a, a just see a huge need there um, to get involved in 
empower um, the people to um, do something about, um, you know, the challenges that they're facing as a country. And we just would love to be a part of encouraging them and empowering them. We have our own foundation, the Hall of Steps Foundation. So um, we want to get involved in, uh, we, we're kicking around a lot of different ideas right now and talking to a lot of different people over in Ethiopia, but potentially like starting a school or doing something with the youth, like our heart just burns for the youth in Ethiopia and wanting to create opportunities for them to, um, to be able to, you know, move, move up and get off the streets. And, um, you know, a lot of the kids who are really struggling over there to just to empower them to like have a chance at, at, uh, you know, changing their life circumstances for the better. So, you know, I kind of a lot of moving parts, but, um, you know, I, I, I always go back to the title of my book. Um, you know, the reason why we chose it, the title is such a big kind of mantra of mine. It's just like always pulling myself back and, um, you know, realizing that uh, kind of like you're mentioning, like we oftentimes have what we want God to do in our mind or how we want him to show up. I remember in the Beijing Olympics being like, man, like I really want God to show up and just give me like a supernatural race where I don't feel any pain and just flying the whole way and have my best day ever, you know? And then God shows up in a different way than that. And then my expectations aren't met. So there's some disappointment some disillusionment that goes with that. So I've kind of learned through experience like that to just be like, it's much more fun to just go through your life with like open hands and, and yes, a vision, a, a direction that we're walking. I think, you know, moving in a direction is really important. Um, but, but at the end of the day, just having an open heart, open mind to whatever God might have for us. So we're very much kind of in that season of life. You know, my wife, she's still running really well professionally. So I'm coaching her and, uh, she has the Olympic trials coming up this February 29th in Atlanta and, uh, you know, we're 36 now, so um, this could be kind of her last chance at making an Olympic team. She's been to every Olympic trials since 2004, but has always kind of missed out on the team. So it'd be so amazing um, to see her qualify um, for the Olympics and get to experience that with her. Um, but again, it's kind of like one of those things where you, through, through your experiences, you learn that to hold those things loosely, you know, and be like, this is great if this happens, like, I'm going to celebrate it, I'm going to rejoice with it, but it doesn't have to happen. So we're trying to remind each other of that as, as the Olympic trials are going closer. Well, part of the joy of the book Run the Mile You're In that Ryan wrote is a transparent look into all of this that he just described. The book includes 26 chapters, just like the amount of miles in a marathon, From mile 20 on in Ryan's book, the focus changes uh, to life after professional running, some of what he shared. Ryan and his wife Sarah have adopted four Ethiopian sisters. Uh, He seems to have taken great pleasure in seeing and helping others succeed, especially through coaching, like he just described with his wife. He's lifting weights. He participated in the World Marathon Challenge. And with Run Free coming up, Ryan, we're so excited to see uh, what will happen in the future with your ministry. Ryan Hall, two-time Olympic marathoner, Olympic Olympic record holder in the half marathon, fastest ever marathon time for an American, and author of the book Run the Mile You're In. Ryan, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys.